want to welcome everyone here for this uh, Lord's service this day. This is our last Sunday, God willing, in this church. Heavenly Father, we come before Thee uh, this day once more to give Thee thanks and praise for all that Thou hast done for us. Thou knowest all of our needs before we come to Thee. And we pray for Thy uh, guidance, especially in these times of transition and uncertainty. We pray for thy grace that we may in our patience possess our souls. Father, we thank thee for the many blessings of the past weeks. We thank thee for the blessings that have poured into this congregation throughout the years. And uh, in, in a way it's a sweet, sour, um, sweet, bitter uh, day for us today to, uh, to be leaving this place. But we know that... It is thy presence that makes the congregation. It is the body of Christ that is indeed the, the, the church of God. So be with us. Bless thy word as we would open to, uh, unto it this morning. Open the hearts that are here to receive it, both converted and unconverted alike, and give grace to the one that will be delivering thy message as we give thee the glory in Jesus' name. Amen. Dear ones, uh, contemplating what to <clears throat> speak about this morning, what passage to uh, meditate on? <clears throat> I thought about the prophet Samuel, and I'd like to turn with the Lord's help to First Samuel chapter seven. And the men of Kirjath Jearim came and fetched up the ark of the Lord and brought it into the house of Abinadab in the hill, and sanctified Eleazar his son to keep the ark of the Lord. And it came to pass while the ark abode in Kirjath Jearim that the time was long, for it was twenty years. And all the house of Israel lamented after the Lord. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If ye do so, return unto the Lord with all your hearts. Then put away the strange gods and Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only. And he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. And the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtaroth and served the Lord only. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah, and I will pray for you unto the Lord. And they gathered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord and fasted on that day and said there, We have sinned against the Lord. And Samuel judged the children of Israel in Mizpah. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to Mizpah, the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel. And when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, that he will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. And Samuel took a suckling lamb and offered it for a burnt offering holy unto the Lord. And Samuel cried unto the Lord for Israel, and the Lord heard him. And as Samuel was offering up the burnt offering, the Philistines drew near to the battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on the day upon the Philistine on that day upon the Philistines, and discomfited them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came under 
Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. So the Philistines subdued, and they came no more, were subdued, and they came no more into the coast of Israel. And the hand of the Lord was against the Philistines all the days of Samuel. And the cities which the Philistines had taken from Israel were restored to Israel, from Ekron even unto Gath, and the coast thereof did Israel deliver out of the hands of the Philistines. And there was peace between Israel and the Amorites. And Samuel judged Israel all the days of his life. And he went from year to year in circuit to Bethel and Gilgal and Mizpah and judged Israel in all those places. And his return was to Ramah, for there was his house, and there he judged Israel, and there he built an altar unto the Lord. May the Lord bless the reading of this word. Bow down and worship the Lord together. O Lord, We are in need of prayer, as the song goes. Even as the people of Israel recognized their need of prayer. Father, our enemy is many and overwhelming, but Thou art greater. Lord, we never want to lose sight of the fact that Thou art greater than our problems, than the Philistines, than whatever it is that scares us and causes us to be afraid. Father, we want to put away all the things that distract us, all the things in which we trust falsely instead of You. We want to confess our faults come together, Lord, to be reconciled with our true King. Father, search our hearts. We pray, Lord, that thy kingdom would come in every one of our hearts, even as it is in heaven, and we may truly submit our wills to you. And Lord, that wherever we would be, that your Holy Spirit would be working in us and through us in a coordinated fashion. That we would be a body and that our connection with you would never be closer. Inspire thy servant. Lord, may our hearts and our ears be open to receive, to be encouraged, and to be transformed. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Samuel was the last of the judges of Israel. It is also believed that he was the first of the major prophets of Israel because he was a prophet as well. And many of the Jewish religious rabbis believe that Samuel was up on the same level as far as spirituality in terms of prominent leaders of Israel as Moses was. If you look at the life of Samuel, it was 
appears to be flawless. There's nothing negative said about Samuel. His sons misbehaved. His sons were um, noted as, as doing things that were not pleasing to God. But Samuel himself, there is nothing that was anyone could pin against him in the, 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 the Bible, the entire Bible. And many of us will recall that Samuel was born to a woman that was barren. Her name was Hannah. And she so longed for a child because it was a shame to her to women of Israel if they could not bear children to propagate the seed. And we recall that she was in the temple um, praying and, and to Eli she looked like she was mad. Or to the people that were there, they, why are you mumbling? And Eli said unto her, how long would thou be drunken? Put away from thy, put thy wine away from thee. And Hannah answered and said, No, my Lord, I am a woman of a sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink, but have poured out my soul before the Lord. The Bible says that the fervent, effectual prayer of a righteous man or a woman is of a great price or is, has a great effect before God. God heard the prayer. Hannah be, begat a child whose name was Samuel and she promised to dedicate him to the Lord. So at the age of about 12 or 13 years old, Samuel is in the temple. He's living um, temple, should I say, at that time they never had the temple, it was a tabernacle at Shiloh. And he was really raised at the feet of Eli, the priest who was also a judge, who also had the very disobedient and evil sons. But as he was sleeping one night, Daniel hears the voice, some voice, and he goes up to Eli and says, did you call me? And Eli says, no, I didn't call you. Go back to sleep. And this happened three times. And finally Eli caught on and said, you know, when you hear that voice again, say, speak, Lord, for thy servant heareth. And it said that Samuel didn't allow one word to fall to the ground that he heard from the word of the Lord. He was dedicated at a very young age. To service for God. The same Samuel had to go after God had revealed to him what's going to happen to Eli, Eli's house because of the wickedness of his sons. And he didn't know what to, how he was going to approach him. And Eli said, well, what did the Lord tell you? And then Samuel told him what the Lord told him. He said that there will be no, that there would be no offering no sacrifice that would be able to clear the sins of his household. 
And we know that they, the sons were killed when the Philistines invaded. As a matter of fact, they invaded the same place we just finished off reading in 1 Samuel chapter 7 at Ebenezer. The place that Samuel wanted to remember as a place where God was his help was the place where they were first defeated. We know that Eli, when he heard the news that the Philistines had taken the, the Ark of the Covenant in that battle, as he was sitting by the wayside um, when the soldiers were coming back, and he heard the news, he was struck in the heart somehow, and he fell over and died. That left Samuel to be the judge of Israel. We're reminded also as the, the story continues how God visited the Philistines and how the, the, the Lord in the temple of Dagon made their God fall over where the ark was placed next to it and the arms and the head was broken off from their god Dagon and they thought, what's going on? Um, uh, they got defeated and, and they said, let's send back the ark of the covenant back to Israel. This ark that the people so much trusted in. Anytime there was a problem, the first thing they said, get the ark, get the ark. They became so much trusting in the created thing that they forgot the Creator. True to Romans 1. In the book of Romans where the Apostle Paul talks about the predicament of man and how man got to his state. He says this. <clears throat> because when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful but became vain in their imaginations and their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things, whereof God also gave them up unto uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator, who is God blessed forever. Basically, the children of Israel were worshipping things and had very little relationship with God. Last night we had a discussion around a dinner table about um, a person's views on on uh, religion, how he hates religion, but he loves Jesus Christ. Well, we know that the Bible talks about religion. In James chapter 1, it says that pure religion and undefiled before God is what? To visit the fatherless and the widows in their affliction and to keep ourselves unspotted from the world. I looked up the word religion 
and it says it's a system of beliefs, and there are several definitions, but one of them has to do with uh, a system of uh, uh, beliefs about a God, a supreme being of the universe, and the sort of practices that go along with it. And it seems that people have forgotten this supreme being, this universe, this universal leader, this God, and they focus more on the practices. So they have moved away from a relationship with God and had more of a relationship with things. How pathetic that was when Dagon, their God, fell down and his head was broken and his, and his hands were broken off his body. And they look in there and they say, that's our God. They have a headless God. An armless God. And I wonder why they even continue to worship him, knowing that. It, the, 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 the book of Judges, I think twice it says, at least the once it says, that in those days when there was no king, that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. And how much um, that is a lesson for us today. When we see where man has come by doing the things that are right in his own eyes. We see where mankind has come. We see that mankind in governments has stopped the public proclamation of Jesus Christ and enforced the rights for those to speak about perversion and corruption in school. The, the Philistines, when they saw that they were judged for them taking the ark, decided to counsel with their wizards and their priests and so forth and say, what do we do? And they say, you know what? Put the God back on a cart, the, the, the ark on a cart of oxen and let them pull the ark back to Israel. If they come back, we know it's not from God. If they go, we know it's the right thing to do because they had tied up their calves, these cows, they tied up their calves or boxed them up in stalls and it would have been natural for the cows to come back and stay with their calves. But instead, they headed towards, I'm not sure if it was Bethlehemesh, and when the people saw the the Ark of the Covenant coming back to them, their symbol of God, their symbol of victory, their assurance in many cases of victory. There was great rejoicing. And we come back to chapter 7 now, Samuel. There seems to be some kind of a um, fear going on through Israel now because Samuel gathers them to a place called Mizpah. And Mizpah was the highest peak in the area. It's not exactly known where that was. It is believed to be around about eight miles north, northwest of Jerusalem. But he gathers them up into this place called Mizpah. And he speaks to them. And Samuel spake unto all the house of Israel, saying, If you do return unto the Lord with all your hearts, then put away the strange gods in Ashtaroth from among you, and prepare your hearts unto the Lord, and serve him only, and he will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Their dependence was on this 
God called Baal who had control of the weather and the crops and so forth. They had turned to the creature instead of remaining with the Creator. And he says, if you indeed want to return to God with all your hearts, then you've got to repent. You've got to forsake the past. You've got to um, serve Him only. See that word, only? Why? Because there's only one God. And that's why, if you look in the book of Exodus, the first commandment that God gave to Moses of the ten was, Thou shalt serve one God. Your Lord God is one God, and Him only shalt thou serve. Everybody else, any other figure or image, is a false God. He is the only true God. And we read that in Romans where it says that they changed the truth of God into a lie. The uncorruptible God into a lie. I was thinking about that on the way to work this past week as I was walking up University Avenue. The, the, this, this whole idea of truth came into my head. And so many verses just flooded my, my mind about the truth of God. Why is it important to, to adhere to the truth of God? So I looked up the word truth and I knew it from before but I wanted to refresh my memory about what truth is. What is truth? Came a very interesting word. It is facticity. Facticity. That's one of the synonyms. It's according to fact. And what is fact? And I remember studying in, in Latin in, in high school, facto means to make, to do. Fact is something that is done. It's done. It's finished. It's, 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 it's complete. It's something that is we know is true. When we see something is done before us, we can't deny it. Truth is that which is Consistent with reality. That's the other definition. It's in accordance with reality. So when we don't live according to truth, we don't live according to what is real. Physics says, if I touch this hot lamp that is so many, that's pouring out so many watts, I'm going to get burned. If I don't believe that, I'm going to get burned. And God's truth is not there to kill our joy. God's truth is there to spare us and to protect us from falsehood, which is able to harm us, which is able to damage us and will damage us. Remember Brother Bob Freud's uh, analogy of, of, the, of the story, it was probably a true account, that of the Jewish son that got fed up with his father's religion and he says, I'm not going to, you watch me break God's law. And the father's response was, you can't break God's law. God's law is going to break you. You can't break the law of gravity. The law of gravity will break you if you try to test it out. And so, what God has been doing from the very beginning of time, He wants us to live according to the truth. 
And when you read about the teachings of Christ in the New Testament, where He said, I am the light of the world. If any man follows Me, he will not walk in darkness. And then He says to His disciples, You are the light of the world. Let your light so shine that it may be seen of all men. Don't hide it under a bushel. Don't hide it under a bucket. You need to shine your light so other people can see what is actually true. What is real. And when you contrast that with what Paul wrote to the Ephesians in another place, he talks about them walking in the imaginations of their, the, 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 the vain imaginations of their mind. Or walking as if they were drunken and not soberly. Seeing reality for what it's not really not. Seeing a distorted view of reality. A perverted view of reality. And Satan does that. He packages his lies to make it look like it's true. He packages everything that is in the world, all the glitz, the glamour, all the, the perversion and corruption, he packages it as if, if you take of it, you will be fulfilled, you will be, you will have it, you are in. And we know what Jesus said about Satan. He said he's the father of lies. He was a liar from the beginning. And the Israelites fell for that. The Israelites fell for that. Samuel says, put away these strange gods. They're false. They're not real. They're not true. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Prepare your hearts unto the Lord. Why? Because only a prepared heart can receive that seed in good ground. The truth in good ground. And that's when that seed will grow and bring forth fruit. And He will deliver you out of the hand of the Philistines. Then the children of Israel did put away Balaam and Ashtoreth and serve the Lord. And Samuel said, Gather all Israel to Mizpah and I will pray for you unto the Lord. This, this, this righteous man, this effectual, fervent prayer that would come from this righteous man, Samuel, God honoured. And they entered together to Mizpah and drew water and poured it out before the Lord. And you think, why? Why would they draw water and pour it out before God? I did a bit of um, cross-referencing. Uh, and if you look at the, 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 the early sacrifices of Moses, they had, they had what they called a libation, where they would pour out wine, or they would pour out blood. Or the Jewish religion when they would go to the river, to the uh, pool of Siloam, on the day of tabernacles, in their custom later on, they would take out on the seventh day, uh, or the eighth day, that, that great and notable day of the feast, they would take that water and pour it out in front of the altar. It was a symbol or, or a gesture of them pouring out their hearts to God, 
offering their hearts as a sacrifice to the living God. We read about that in the first chapter of Samuel, uh, the first reading in the first chapter of Samuel, where, where Hannah looked like she was a drunken woman. But she says, No, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. That's, that's, the first, that's the first step in coming to God. That was the first step that, that Jesus spoke about. Blessed are the poor in spirit. That was the, that, that was the remedy for David in Psalm 51 when he, he was forgiven for his, his terrible sins. And he says that God will accept him that is of a broken spirit and of a broken and contrite heart. He will not reject. He said, no, my Lord, I am a woman of sorrowful spirit. I have drunk neither wine nor strong drink. But I have poured out my soul before the Lord. And you may say, what else must I do? I've done everything. I've done everything that was religious. I've stopped doing this. I don't watch TV. I don't do this. What else must I do? You know what you've got to do? No one else can do it for you. You've got to pour out your soul. And that's not something you can do externally. That's not something you can come and throw ashes and... And, and, and put on sackcloth for and and now God's going to see you because you've done that. That's just an external right. But what is internal is what God cherishes. You may come to us and say, I want to get baptized. Look what else, what have I done? What has happened on the inside? Remember the woman with the alabaster box, the sinner? They came to Jesus in Luke chapter 7, I think it was. She comes, she brings this, this alabaster box, she breaks it open, this precious ointment that could have cost her years of wages, and, and she spills it out at the feet of Jesus. Moving song called, Broken and Spilled Out. How much have you broken your heart and spilled it out before God? Don't come to Samuel and say, Samuel, pray for me. I mean, you can do that, but it's only going to go so far. Don't come just to the minister and say, pray for me. You can do that, but it's only going to go so far. Because the relationship is not between you and the ministers. The relationship is not between you and Samuel. The relationship is between you and God. So that was a gesture. They took the water and they spilled it out. And they then demonstrated by removing all their gods. It says, I believe in Chronicles, that he that confesses his sin and forsakes it shall have mercy. And when the Philistines heard that the children of Israel were gathered together to misper the lords of the Philistines went up against Israel, when the children of Israel heard it, they were afraid of the Philistines. <coughs> And the children of Israel said to Samuel, Cease not to cry unto the Lord our God for us, and He will save us out of the hand of the Philistines. You know, in their position, because, of they, because they have a good memory of how they had been unfaithful to God, had no confidence to approach God 
by themselves, on their own. They said, Samuel, you pray for us. Don't stop praying. That was good. But was it wasn't enough. How does God expect us to come to Him? Once we have that faith in our Redeemer God, what does God expect us to do? We know that we have faith when we come to God in this manner. In, uh, Rome, in Hebrews chapter 10, verse 15 it says, Wherefore the Holy Ghost also is a witness for us, for after that He had said before, This is the covenant that it, it, I will make with them after those days, saith the Lord. I will put my laws into their hearts, and in their minds I will write them, and their sins and iniquities I will remember no more. Now where, no, where remission of, of these is, there is no more offering for sins. <coughs> Having therefore, brethren, boldness, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way, which He hath consecrated for us, through the veil that is to say his flesh. And you don't need a high priest anymore. You don't need anyone to go in between you and God and say pray for me. Religions are still doing this today. They're going to man for absolution of sin. God said you don't need that anymore. The veil of the temple has been ripped from top to bottom. You can come into the Holy of Holies now boldly because Jesus Christ is your high priest and he's at my right hand in the heavens. Samuel then took an offering and cried unto the Lord for Israel and the Lord heard him. Whatever happened in the Old Testament was just a foreshadow of things to come. This happened, there was a priest, there was a sacrifice, there was bloodshed, God heard, God forgave. In the New Testament, that priest is not after the order of Levi or Aaron. It's after the order of Melchizedek. And Melchizedek was one that had no beginning or end, figuratively speaking. He had no father or mother. He was a priesthood. He started a priesthood that would never die. And Jesus Christ was that fulfillment. That his priesthood would never end. And he would not have to shed the blood of bullocks and goats and so forth. He has shed his own blood once for all. And as Samuel was offering the burnt offerings, the Philistines drew near to battle against Israel. But the Lord thundered with a great thunder on that day upon the Philistines and discomfited them, completely decimated them, and they were smitten before Israel. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines. And now they can chase them when they're running. That was good. I hope they learned a lesson. I hope we learn a lesson. That we are only strong when the enemy is running, but that we can be bold and face the enemy face to face because we know that he that is within us is greater than he that is in the world. And the men of Israel went out of Mizpah and pursued the Philistines and smote them until they came to Bethkar. Then Samuel took a stone and set it between Mizpah and Shen and called the name of it Ebenezer, saying, Hitherto hath the Lord helped us. 
in the midst of all their conflict, in the midst of all their difficulties, Samuel recognised that God was with them. God didn't leave them. He punished the sinful. He promised that to Moses in Exodus 33 and 34. He said that he's, he's merciful and gracious, but he will not excuse the guilty. He will visit their wickedness to the third and fourth generation. What he's saying is, is that God will forgive us despite our sin, despite ourselves. But there's a point when you don't want forgiveness. Well, you have rejected him. There's a point where God knows that and he'll reject you. He said to the sons of, about the house of Eli, he says, the offering of bullocks and goats will not expiate that sin. And so Samuel recognized that the Lord had done this. And he had assurance as God had brought them this far. He put up this stone that was called Ebenezer or the stone of help as a memorial for what God has done and what God will continue to do. In the same place where they had the victory, they had a previous defeat. And it is the same for us today. We have many defeats on our journey. We have many battles, we have many conflicts, we have many hardships, but we have many victories. But in the end, it is God that is gracious to us. That's why grace is such a beautiful thing. God doesn't take our defeats and our victories, He weighs them and says, Oh, sorry, you lose. God takes our defeats. And he places them at the foot of Calvary. I remember reading a, a writing of John Bunyan, I think it was. He had this huge, it was a Pilgrim's Progress maybe. He had this huge burden. In the allegory, he was taking this huge burden on his back. And he was tired and weary. And he didn't know what to do with it. And he laid it at the cross. At the foot of Calvary. But don't come with the attitude, Oh, God forgive sins here. Here's a move. Because you're not coming with a broken heart. You're not pouring out your heart to God. You're not crying out to God. When the scripture says, for whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord in Romans 10, he's not saying, well, I'm just raising my hand. Oh, God, God, are you there? Can you forgive me? He wants you to dedicate your life to him totally like Samuel did. He wants you to let one word of his fall to the ground. And no matter what you do in terms of outward uh, gestures and and, 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 and and rites and rituals, if your heart is not right with God, you're just like any other religious person. You place your faith, you place your faith and trust in things and not have a relationship with Jesus Christ.
We used to uh, listen to scripture music to learn how to to learn some of the the verses off by heart, and it's so beautiful. I just last night I, I decided to play this to my wife because we used to listen to this uh, this uh, scripture song before Psalm 25. This is what it says before I close. Unto Thee, O Lord, do I lift up my soul. O my God, I trust in Thee. Let me not be ashamed. Let not mine enemies triumph over me. Yea, let none that wait on Thee be ashamed. Let them be ashamed which transgress without cause. Remember my dad saying once, when he was in prison, and uh, there was some question, you know, the prisoners are here, do we pray before grace, before meals? Do we have grace before meals? You know, why should we be ashamed, he said. Why should I be ashamed? They're here for crimes. I'm here because I'm serving Christ. Why should I be ashamed? That's reality. Show me thy ways, O Lord. Teach me thy paths. Lead me in thy truth. And teach me, for thou art the God of my salvation. On thee do I wait all the day. Remember, O Lord, thy tender mercies and thy loving kindnesses, for they have been ever of old. Remember not the sins of my youth, nor my transgressions according to my mercy. Remember thou me for thy goodness sake, O Lord. This is David speaking. This is David remembering what he had done in his youth. The, the terrible sins that he committed against Bathsheba and, and Uriah and, and the Lord. And he's saying, for, please forgive me for the sins of my youth. Good and upright is the Lord. Therefore will he teach sinners in the way. The meek, the meek he will guide in judgment. And the meek will he teach his why? What is different than that and the Beatitudes? Nothing. Jesus was not teaching anything really new. He was teaching exactly what God was saying all along. He says that, that blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for they shall be called the children of God. Blessed are they that mourn, for they shall be comforted. All the paths of the Lord are mercy and truth unto such as keep his covenant and his testimonies. For thy name's sake. David, who was under the law, was appealing to God's grace. For thy name's sake, O Lord, pardon mine iniquity. Because you're good, forgive me, Lord. Not because I'm good or bad. Because you're good, forgive me. What man is he that feareth the Lord? Him shall he teach in the way that he shall choose. His soul shall dwell at ease. All his seed shall inherit the earth. The secret of the Lord is with them that fear him. Remember Jesus? Jesus said to his disciples. He says, Now you're my friends. And I've told you. All that I know, I've told you because you're my friends. The secret, the mystery of the kingdom of God, I give to you. Because you believe me. Because you have faith. Abraham believed God. And he was called the friend of God. Every man, every one of us, 
need not need to ask somebody else, well, why, why is this not happening? You know your own heart. You know your own heart. How much you have been broken and spilled out and poured out for the Lord. And God will reward everyone accordingly. To Him be the glory evermore. Amen.